0: I thought, I'm not going to be ashamed to raise my hands and glorify God. He's brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. He delivered me from the bondage of sin that would have destroyed my life. He took those things that held me bound and captive and set me free. I don't think twice I'm going to throw up my hands. I want to exalt him who is worthy and so if worship seems a little strange this morning to some don't think it's strange we're just praising the one who has done the work yes, amen. we're praising the one who's accomplished something worthy of praise we're exalting one who's done something worthy of being exalted that's all it's just a cry of our heart saying we worship you God who has rescued us it's just worship. It's praise. It's in our human nature to praise. I, I don't think there's anything wrong if you enjoy a football game and you yell for your team. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of some teams, and every once in a while I'll yell for them. My, my team won yesterday. I was glad about that. I saw some clips, and I'm glad they won. My wife would give me a hard time because every once in a while, if I'm watching them play and and we see one break, I'm gonna get myself in trouble here. I can tell already. <laughs> and I'll I'm an Arkansas Razorbacks fan. In case you didn't know that, I'm from Arkansas. And I'll see the one of those running backs are break free, and I'm like, oh, they're gone. Right? You know, if you watch football, you know, i it's like, oh, they're gone, and I'll get excited. Now, that seems sort of silly, just sitting here talking about that. It doesn't, doesn't just seem silly, like we would get excited about somebody carrying a ball and running down a field. But I get excited. It does seem silly when you put it in that context. But I'm excited. And I'll be like, oh, go, baby, go, go, go. My wife's like, oh, yeah, I heard you. Go, baby, go over there. <laughs> you know, I... The scripture says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And so when we begin to worship him and lift our voice to him and lift our hearts to him. The spirit of God begins to fill the atmosphere in a manner that's different than now. I understand God's omnipresent, so he's everywhere at all times, but just because he's present doesn't mean that his presence is manifested to where we feel it or recognize it. But when we begin to praise and worship, what happens is the spirit of God begins to manifest his presence. And so now we recognize God is in this place. The spirit of God is moving and working. And maybe for some you're like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what I'm feeling right now. I don't. Maybe you're even going, many people are crazy. And you may be right. probably am. you know in sports they call them fans right you know that's short for fanatic did you know that sports fanatics I'm probably a little crazy I'm a little bit of a fanatic I just do crazy stuff for him I want to aren't you thankful for the goodness of God today Amen. he is so good to us what a privilege and an honor to gather together this morning at the dawn of a new year. And as Brother Rodriguez said at the outset, it's a time where often we begin to look forward. Isn't it something how the turning of a calendar page can affect our thought process? That's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to have a reset and a a refocus and a renewal. Amen. Uh, and so I thank God today for a new year, the beginning of a new year, and I'm excited about where he's leading us. Amen. I am going to dismiss teachers to the classrooms this morning. Praise God. If you're a little warm, um, maybe you have a layer you can shed discreetly, I don't know. We we we've turned the heaters back off. The heat is still on, but we turned off the supplemental heaters. It's really cold right outside, but when you come in here and it's still sort of cool, but then when we get the room full yeah but we're glad you're here amen why don't you grab your bible with me this morning amen in Jesus name we're going to baptize some people here in a little bit today i'm excited about that praise god i look forward to that um let me say quickly before we go into the word Uh, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the children, ages 4 to 11. They will have class for you downstairs. They're going to have a great time of ministry in the Word. Children 4 to 11, God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. If you are a guest with us today, thank you for choosing to start your year with us. We are honored that you would do so. I mean that. I know that it says something to take time out of your weekend. So thank you for choosing to be here today. It is our sincere prayer that the Spirit of God would minister to your life. He knows what you and I have need of before we even ask Him. So I pray that by His Spirit and by His Word, He would minister to each one of our lives. There's no greater honor than for him to do that. So thank you for being with us today. Um, amen. We will, here at the start of the year, just a reminder, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, We will tomorrow we will begin our 28 days of focused prayer and fasting to start the new year, and seeking the face of the Lord by his grace, humbling ourselves before him, and seeking to consecrate and dedicate afresh and anew this year. We'll start with the first five days of fasting. We have a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board out there. We will also send out a link after service. If you've already signed your name on a slot on that calendar on the bulletin board, we will get it from that calendar into the online sign-up page. Uh, What the goal is is that for the next 28 days from tomorrow through the end of the month, as a body of believers, we would have an unbroken chain of fasting and waiting on the Lord. And so we are asking if you sign up for a day that you understand you're agreeing that you would fast from midnight that day until midnight the next so that the chain of fasting by the body remains unbroken for the next 28 days. I know many are choosing to start uh, here at the beginning as we often have with a full week of fasting just to start or the first three days. We don't try to micromanage that. We're not here to look over your shoulder. That's not the plan, but simply an individual consecration and a unified collective agreement that will set aside time to pray and fast and wait on the Lord, Uh, the we are closer to His coming, obviously, than we've ever been. And if there's ever a time that we should be about the Father's business, it's now. Amen? And so, please sign up um, if you if you want to get it on the bulletin board there to get your slot. Do so. Please don't write over the top of somebody else's name. <laughs> okay? Okay. Um, and uh, I'm excited by that. During this time, during these next 28 days from the 3rd through the 31st, the sanctuary here will be open every day from 5.30 to 7.30 a.m. and p.m. Uh, so that you can come for prayer if you'd like to gather here just to get to it. That's not a requirement by any means. Just sometimes it's helpful to be able to get away from the the place where all the distraction can be. And so the sanctuary will be open from 530 to 730 a.m. and p.m. every day from the 3rd through the 31st. And we'll just see what the Lord will do. Um, You never know what will happen. Sometimes 8 or 10 or 15 will show up and we'll go into a place of prayer and then there becomes ministry. There's no agenda other than to pray and wait on God. And seek His face for this new year. Amen? So do that. Praise God. Uh, Let's let's go into the Word this morning. The Lord began talking to me uh, in a familiar place. And I think we're going to read about some familiar things. And sometimes you can feel pressure to have a great New Year's message. I don't feel any pressure that way this morning. You know, the Lord doesn't know time. It's a new year to us. It's just all the same. He's from everlasting to everlasting. I was talking to that someone about that this morning. But I want to read to you some places in Scripture. Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 13. Starting with verse number 3. This will be very familiar to many of us. So I pray that the Lord would give us ears to hear. Amen. Matthew 13, and verse number three. And he spake many things. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He spake many things unto them in parables or stories, saying, and he begins to share a parable Behold, everybody say, Behold. That means pay attention. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, They withered away, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Verse 9, Jesus said all of that, and then he makes this statement, Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Now, how many of you have read the book of Revelation before? Several of us. You may recall that in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and chapters 3, that the Lord Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. And at the end of his message to each of those seven churches, we find the same statement. He speaks something different to every one of the churches, but his final statement to all seven churches is exactly the same. It is this. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. It's interesting to me that in this parable we find the same statement from the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about a natural ear whereby I hear. He's talking about a spiritual ear whereby I gain understanding from the story. Um, you You ever had someone tell a joke and several of you were laughing, but there was one person in the room, they're like, I don't get it. Don't point fingers. And then... Then there's always someone else that says, okay, well, I'll explain it to you. That almost makes it worse, doesn't it? And it seems like every family has one. I, I (laughs) I have an aunt. I had an aunt. She's passed away now. She always caught the grief because she never caught the joke. I'll never forget. At a family gathering one time, somebody had shared a funny story, and she would always laugh, but she was always laughing anyway. She was full of laughter and joy and smile. And so, so you never know if she was just laughing because everybody else was or she caught the joke. But anyway, I'll never forget one day, we were all sitting together, and all of a sudden, my aunt just busts out laughing. We're like, what in the world? And she referenced back to that story from a day or two before. It had finally registered with her. We all got a good laugh all over again. What happened? Now, that's a lighthearted way of expressing this, and obviously what Jesus is talking about is far, far, far deeper and more impactful than any lighthearted joke along the journey. But the point of it is this. Sometimes we can hear something, but we don't understand it. And we can receive things into our intellect, But they don't resonate with our spirit. And Jesus was saying here when he told this parable or this story, he said, who has ears to hear, let him hear. He wasn't talking about the natural ear. He wasn't talking about hearing in the natural. He was talking about having discernment to recognize what is this story? What is he really trying to say here? What is Jesus wanting us to lay hold of? From this story. And he goes on. And he begins to talk to his disciples. Verse 10. The disciples came and said. Why do you speak in parables? Why don't you just tell them what you mean? He says. Why do you speak in parables? And he said to them. Because it's given to you. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them. It is not given. Now. We could read that and say, oh, he's withholding stuff from people. No, 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 no. That's not what he's doing. When it says to them it is not given, what's happening is there are those who are willfully blind. And Jesus was speaking in parables to there were religious People there, they were so fixated in their own thinking, so fixated in their religious tradition, so bound by their own ideology, that when Jesus spoke the words of the kingdom of God, they rejected them because they so diametrically opposed his kingdom. And so he was declaring, or sorry, they didn't oppose his kingdom, they opposed their kingdom. His kingdom was in opposition to the kingdom they were building in their own plans. Their religious routine, their position, their place. And so when he spoke of the kingdom, it was in opposition to their kingdom. And so therefore, they couldn't hear with the spirit. Does that make sense? So when he said to them, it's not given, he wasn't withholding. They just couldn't receive it. Now. He says quite a bit about that, but I want us to skip down to verse 18 in chapter 13, Matthew 13 and 18, and we see Jesus reveal this parable. He gives us the understanding. Verse 18, he says, hear, therefore, the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understands it not, He's talking about spiritual understanding. Okay? Doesn't get into our spirit with spiritual understanding. Understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word, and anon with joy receives it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, that's the seed, by and by he's offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. They received the word. The word took root. The word began to grow. Began to produce something. a Plant begin to grow, if you will, from the seed that was planted. But thorns. Jesus said the thorns are the care of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. And those things choke out the word. And he becomes unfruitful. Now here's the danger in that. The plant could still be there. Growing among the thorns. But there's no fruit. And you want to talk about deception. Deception is saying I've got root and I'm growing. But I'm content to have no fruit. And it is the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that chokes out the word and makes one unfruitful. What verse am I on? 22. Verse 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4, please. We're going to see this same parable. We're not going to read as many verses here in the book of Mark. But I want you to see. We get get different indicators in this parable that come to us because of the different gospels. And so I want us to see where Jesus relays to them understanding in each of these three gospels. Mark chapter 4. Verse 14, here he is relaying the parable. The sower soweth the word, so the seed is the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard it, Satan comes immediately, takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. What does that look like, Satan coming immediately? Does Satan like show up at your house and here he is and say... Hello, I'm here today, and I'd like to take the seed that you just got. Would you please relinquish that? Let me take that from you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. What the adversary does is he says, you know, when you heard the word, it registered. But then in our humanity, Satan will begin to bombard our thoughts with things contrary to the word. And we'll rely on human reason and understanding rather than faith in the infallible word of God. And he'll steal the seed. And the seed will never take root and produce what God intends in our life. Verse 16. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who when they have heard the word immediately they receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so they endure but for a time. But afterward... When affliction or persecution arises for the Word's sake, immediately they are offended. What's happening there? Man, I heard the Word. That did something in my spirit. didn't just get in my intellect. It got in my spirit. Man, something was stirred in my heart and in my life, and I received it. And I had this season of joy, but the Word comes with consequences. Why? Because the Word of God is contrary to this world system. And so then persecution may come because I'm holding to the word. Tribulation may come because I'm holding to the word. And my human nature says, you know what? I don't know if this is all worth it. I liked it better when I didn't have, as though it was really better. That's deception. That's stony ground, no root. No root. Let the word grow. Let it have its process. Some things take time amen some things take time and the seed of the word of god when it's planted in our heart yes it can bring that joy in a moment when the spiritual understanding comes and god quickens and we get a word from the lord that we can lay hold on and we're excited about that but then life happens and the journey continues and and trials can come and tests can come and, and it will bomb it's like hold on i don't know if i want i don't know if i can believe that anymore persecution and so we become offended. What do we get offended at? We could get offended at the word. I don't know about you. I can tell you from my personal experience, not proudly, I've become offended at God. But Lord, you said, did he fail? I was just having to having to let the word have its work. It was trying to take root in my spirit. Now, I can tell you what happens. Stony ground, no root, hardness of heart. Hardness, rigidity in my thinking. Holding to my way. That's pride. Pride. And the Word of God can't penetrate to get any root in my life to produce what He's wanting to produce in me. So it's easier to be offended at God because He didn't produce a result as quick as I'd like Him to. Verse 18, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in. What happens? It chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. I want you to notice the words that Mark used here. The cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, but he added one thing that we didn't see in Matthew's gospel. The lusts of other things. What happens? I start desiring other things. He's still talking about the things of this world, the deceitfulness of riches of this world, the lusts of other things of this world. And notice he says, entering in. Where are they entering into? Not a trick question. The heart, the soil, right? We're talking about the soil, which is the heart. These things enter into the heart. And so what's happening, this this probably isn't the best word, but it's the only word that comes to mind. The word of God is in the heart, trying to accomplish what God intends it to do. Because his word will not return void, the Bible says. So he's sending his word into my heart to accomplish his will. And so, but yet there's these other things entering entering into my heart, the soil of my life. I've got cares of this world that start entering in. And I've got the deceitfulness. Notice, both of them use the word deceitfulness. They didn't say the desire for riches. They said the deceitfulness of riches. And the lust of other things. It enters into my heart. And here's what happens. There's this competition in the soil of my heart for place. And these other things that are spoken here, they begin to grow. And on the surface, when they first enter in, if I'm not careful, I can justify them in my life. Well, I've got to care for this. Well, I need this to survive. Well, this would make my life better. This is for the betterment of my family. And I'm not arguing with some of those things. But when those things begin to work contrary to the word and the will of God, they may look good on the surface. But once they begin to grow, what happens, we realize from the word of God, is they're actually thorns. Oh, in the moment it may get us And what's the adversary? If I could just get some stuff in there. Just look. Just think about how it would be if you could give more. You know, work 30 hours of overtime. It doesn't matter if you miss service on Sunday. You won't get the ministry. You can catch it later online. And you miss the fellowship of the body of Christ. You miss the time together. You miss, you know, sacrifice your place of prayer in the morning. You got to go to work earlier because you you can fill in the blank with your example. I'm not trying to focus on one thing. But there's this cares of this world, the deceit. And what's happening on the surface initially it's justified but it's also a seed and it's entered into the heart and we don't realize it sometime till it's too late it begins to grow and it's a thorn and it begins to choke out the working of the word and the deception of it all is that here's the seed of the word growing and here's the thorns of life growing and we see them growing intertwined and I'm justified for a while because I still see growth. But there's no fruit. No fruit. And hear me. The adversary doesn't mind. If you've got word planted in your heart. And a plant is growing. As long as there's no fruit. Come on pray with me right now. In Jesus name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray, give us an ear to hear. Lord Jesus, give us an ear to hear. Give us an ear to hear. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Notice there in verse 19. To me, probably the greatest tragedy of that verse is those last two lines. It chokes the word and it becometh. The way that's written, it reads as though at one time it was fruitful, right? But it becomes unfruitful. Verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruits, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Then finally in Luke chapter eight, we see the parable again. Verse number eleven. Jesus said, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Understand that is why the adversary wants to steal the seed. If he can steal the seed, the soul will be lost. Verse 13, they on the rock are they which when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, for a while believe. And in time of temptation, they fall away. So see, we're reading these three different places because you see how there's further understanding in each one. Time of temptation, they fall away. Verse 14, that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And they bring no fruit to perfection. That's interesting to me here in Luke's gospel that Luke gives us, we it's almost like it's progressive because Mark said they become unfruitful. It's as though there was fruit and then they can no longer produce fruit. Luke, in his writing, he says they bring no fruit to perfection or to completion. So it would lead me to believe that it's possible that a life that's growing that also has thorns growing around it, that there could be fruit of some type, just not fruit that's to perfection. It's not fully grown. I remember when I was, I must have been nine or ten years old. We lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And we had a tree out in the front corner of our yard. It was a persimmon tree. Anybody ever seen a persimmon tree? A few of us. I don't think they're very common here. It was a persimmon tree. I didn't know anything about persimmons. I don't think I'd ever heard the word persimmon until we moved into that house. And I was told that that's what that tree was. But has anybody ever tasted a persimmon? Delicious. Yeah, that's not what I think. And I'll explain to you why. So, my dad, recognizing that I had no clue what a persimmon was and not ever hearing about a persimmon and him telling me that, oh, they're really good. Really? Yeah, yeah. My dad sent me to that tree and had me pick one of those persimmon fruits. Wash it. Eat it. I'm telling you, I picked that persimmon tr- fruit. I took a big bite out of it, Joe. I was all excited. I took a bite out of that thing, and I'm telling you, my mouth felt like it turned inside out. <laughs> I felt like I, it like drew up. I'm like, oh, I couldn't make it stop. It was so sour. And... Well, here's what the problem was. It wasn't ripe yet. It wasn't fruit to perfection. You with me? Now, my dad knew that. Sound like something I'd do to my kids now. You know, that's a rite of passage for children. Man, I'm telling you what, it took me a long time to ever try a real persimmon that that, that was fully ripe that was really good. It's amazing how sweet it was when I had one that was ripe. What was the difference? One was fruit unto perfection when it's really sweet. And the first thing Sister Priscilla said, I don't know if you heard her up here. She goes, oh, they're so delicious. And I'm like, huh, oh, your experience was different than my experience. What happened? She had fruit unto perfection the first time she had a persimmon, I'm guessing. See? Fruit that's not to perfection. Perfection is not desirable. You understand, it's not desirable fruit. Anybody ever pick an apple three months before it's ripe and bite into it? Doesn't make you want another apple. Right? Go out there and pick one of those cherries a month and a half before it's ripe. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that, actually. Why? Because it's not fruit to perfection. And what's the problem? If people get fruit that's not fruit to perfection, it doesn't make them desire more fruit. And so if you and I as children of God have the word of God sown in our heart, but it's also intertwined with thorns that are choking the word. And we, maybe there's some fruit showing up. It would seem a, that that's possible by Luke's gospel. That there could be some fruit. But it's not fruit to completion. And what happens is when people would try to take of that fruit. It may cause that they're seeing and hearing and feeling and receiving something from fruit that's trying to be produced in our life. But it's not desirable fruit. Because it's never to perfection. This is the damage and the danger of the choking of the thorns. The cares of life. On the word of God. Jesus said. Let him that hath an ear. Hear. Hear. But that on the good ground are they. Which in an honest and good heart. Having heard the word. Keep it. And bring forth fruit with. Patience. Patience. I know that was a lot of reading this morning. You know, we call these passages in the Gospels, we call them the parable of the sower. And we call it that because, of course, Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples, said, Hear the parable of the sower. The reality is, it's not really the parable of the sower, it's the parable of the soil. To Jesus, it was the parable of the sower because he was sowing seed. To us, it's the parable of the soil. And I feel the spirit of the Lord dealing with my heart and my life today. I feel the conviction of the Lord and the love of God and the beckoning of his spirit as I and you stand on this brink of a new year here. You know, it's interesting to me, the soil of our heart is a funny thing, isn't it? I remember, some of you heard this story before. My my grandfather had a garden in Arkansas on his 40 acres. He had a two-acre garden. It was on the backside all the way across the 40 acres. My grandmother would always complain, I don't know why he put that garden. Why couldn't he put it up by the house? She would carry on about that. I never told my grandmother, but I thought sometimes he wanted to get over there because you would carry on. So that was his way of. <laughs> but she would always talk about. I had to go all the way over there to pick stuff and come. I don't know why. She'd just go. On. I'm sure my grandfather knew that was a good place. The way the water ran, the way it sat on the hill. I'm sure he had reason. But I remember going to that garden at times when I was just a boy with my grandfather, and. In the corner of the fence around the garden, again, two-acre garden. It was a big. In the corner of the fence, there was these, uh, like, uh, oh, what's that? Fencing, like chicken fence. Uh, little rectangles, wire rectangles, you know. And it uh, put it at the corner post and made circles, and, and they were full of rocks. Anybody ever seen that? You know. What he'd done is when he would work the soil, work the ground, all these rocks would come to the surface, right? And he would take these rocks, and he would, and they would be, they would help fortify the corner posts because they'd stay solid, and uh, and they were all over the place. He had all these, and I remember thinking sometimes when I go over there with him, he'd have me pick up rocks. I'm like, where are all these rocks coming from? Are you growing rocks? I mean, I knew he'd had that garden before I was ever born. What in the world? It was like rocks just kept coming. What happened? The more he turned the ground, the waters would come and wash. Things would settle. Things would come to the surface. There would be a turning of the ground. Things would settle. Things would come to the surface. It was a constant working of the ground. A constant working of the ground. A constant. There's no garden there today. Sort of sad to me in some ways. There used to be a row of apple trees on one side of the garden. There's no apple trees there today. Sort of sad to me in a way. It's still in the family. My aunt and uncle own that property now. They take care of it. It's not all grown over. But now they just cut hay off of it every year. That's okay. They feed cows. But I've watched. Back in one part of that farm. My grandfather had it all. He had roads cleared out back through there. He had paths through there. He had the the creek that runs through. He had it cleaned on both sides. It was. Man I. I never realized how much work it was until I spent a couple summers down there. Like, My goodness. You don't just do that stuff once. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't just do that one, but the Jacinto knows. We, we helped him weed his garden a few times last year, different ones. Right? Why do I share that story? Because as children of God, people seeking the will of God and to walk in the power of the Spirit of God, the soil of our heart. We don't just get it to a place and then, oh great, I've got it all figured out, I've got it all done. Now there's no longer any, there's no longer any thorns, there's no longer any stones. I've got all good soil. By the grace of God, he may help us get to that place by the working of his word and spirit in our lives. But you know what? Soil left unattended. Man, it's amazing how quickly good, clear, beautiful land can go look in tarot. Anybody notice that before? Like, man, it's like, what happened? How did all this stuff take over? What in the world? I'll tell you what happened. someone stopped tending to the ground. Someone stopped caring for the ground. And when you stop caring for the ground, there are other things that enter in. And when those other things enter in, they begin to destroy that which the ground is intended to produce. And Jesus said... The soil is your heart and mine. And in this year ahead, I'm making some determinations. God, I want you to dig into the soil of my heart deeper than I've ever allowed you to dig before. I'm asking you to go into places in my life where maybe I've held them in reserve. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I'm asking you, Lord, dig in my heart, the soil of my heart. I don't want thorns. I don't want the deceitfulness of riches. I don't want the cares of this world. I don't want the lust of other things to enter in. I want a heart that is clean and pure of all of those elements. To where that the word of God can take such root in my life that it produces fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. You see, fruit is a result of two things. Fruit is a result of two things. The seed and the soil. You with me? The seed and the soil. Hear me. There's nothing wrong with the seed. Amen? Nothing wrong with the seed. I just need the seed to get into my heart. And I need ears to hear so I understand what the Word of God is trying to do in my life so that my life becomes a fruitful life. One that produces fruit to the glory and the honor of God and God alone. Would you talk with Him right now? Could we together determine What would happen in this year ahead? What would happen in this year ahead? If by the grace of God, each and every one of us submitted in such a manner to his word and to his spirit. That said, dig deep. Dig deep in my heart, Lord. I want to be honest before you, Lord. I realize there's some hard places. And so I'm trusting you, and I'm asking you, Lord, reach in. By the love of God, reach in, Lord, and deal with these hard places of my heart. I trust you, Lord. Reach in, Lord, where there's thorns. Let me not justify them, but I pray they be submitted to you. They be submitted to you, Lord. I'm opening this altar to you today if you'd like to talk to the Lord there. Let your word take root and produce fruit, Lord. That my soil, God, be ever right before you. That there be a production of fruit that accomplishes your will and your purpose, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Fruit that is produced by the Word of God having its work in my life. Fruit that is produced by the Word of God taking root in my heart. Fruit that is produced by understanding given of the Holy Ghost in my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Deliverance from the cares of this life. Deliverance, Father, from the lusts of other things that would enter in. Deliverance from the deceitfulness of riches. I pray an eye that is single today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. An eye that is single that the whole body would be full of light. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Examine the soil of our heart. Examine the soil of our heart Uh, I dedicate it afresh and anew. Let me not be bound up in any religious tradition or routine that would make the Word of God of no effect. But I pray the pure, uninhibited Word of God working in the soil of the heart. I pray, set the plow deep in my heart, O God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray that much fruit would be produced to the glory of God, not to the accolade of men, not for the recognition of men, but to the praise of you alone, Father, to the praise of you alone. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray root out those things that would settle there that are not of you. Root out those things, I pray, that would try to take hold that are not of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Let me not become complacent in the care of the soil. But oh, an awakening of the Spirit afresh. Hearing with ears.